I'm Paul DeGarabedian with my Many Screens Big Picture Podcast. And this is a guest that I've been wanting on my show forever. I've known this gentleman for many, many years, since we were kids, practically. <laughs> Ethan Sachs, an amazing journalist, and now part of the new voice of Marvel, uh, writing Old Man Hawkeye, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, Star Wars Allegiance, Silver Surfer, Old Man Quill, and Star Wars Bounty Hunters. I've really never met anyone who had such a a broad range of interests, background. You're a journalist. You're also very creative, you know, you're a creative writer as well. And uh, I think your knowledge of the Marvel universe in particular is unparalleled. So Ethan Sachs, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Paul. It's a pleasure to see you um, virtually speaking. So let's talk about the the journalism part of your career. That's how we met doing box office stories way, way back in the day. And you're multifaceted. And particularly, how did you find your way into the entertainment side of writing uh, for various publications? Well, so basically, um, I was always interested uh, from the very moment I first saw Star Wars as a four-year-old in theaters. I was enamored of movies in particular and geek culture. I was a big comic book reader. Um, But, you know, your parents kind of tell you you have to grow up at some point. Uh, I've proven them wrong. But before I prove them wrong, (laughs) uh, I was trying to figure out sort of like what profession I could do where I could actually, um, you know, make some kind of living and still enjoy all this stuff. But when I got out of college after teaching English for a year um, in Japan, the internet was taking off. This is the mid nineties. And so I ended up getting, like they were throwing low level jobs at people who wanted them on on the internet. And I got a job um, at this website called MetroBeat, which later became City Search as a, music editor uh, and sports editor, which was kind of a weird combination. But I was just there nine months and I was recruited by the New York Daily News because they had just launched their their own website. I mean, this was in late 1996. So I got my start there. It was, it was a entry level uh, editing job night. I worked the night shift for close to 12 years of my 20 years at the Daily News. Um, yeah. Probably uh, 11 years. And um Basically, from there, I got some opportunities to start writing about movies, and I ended up, by the time I left the New York Daily News after 20 years, I was uh, the film editor. And along the way, I carved a niche reporting on movies in general, but also uh, sort of sci-fi, comic book movies, Game of Thrones, Star Wars, The Walking Dead, comic books, just anything geek-related. I was the go-to geek. Um, So I called it the geek beat. Uh, large because yeah. it sounded cool, but that was sort of a large part of my job there. At some point, I also I became very interested in box office because I always thought there's a story behind the story. And that's how you and I met. We had talked on the phone for so long as a source uh, that I regularly gave me a lot of insight. And you were in New York and I got a call from, I think it was a PR person and said like, hey, Paul's in New York. Do you want to go meet him? Didn't we meet at a fish and chips place or something? Uh, We met at an Irish pub. We had fish and chips. Let's talk about uh, how you then transitioned into writing for Marvel. And I want to get in a little bit to the nuts and bolts of, you know, if you can walk me through some of that. And offline, we had talked about creator-owned content. And I don't know that I, I didn't know what that really meant until you explained it to me. So talk me through how you wound up, uh, you know, at Marvel 
And, and when you talk about uh, one of the most, you know, you are one of the most prolific new voices and by new voice, meaning over the past, how many years would that mean? You know, there's that, that golden age and there's the different eras of, of, of Marvel, but you're a new voice for Marvel. How did that all come about? Uh, well, so I'm specifically on the comic book side and, um, Basically, what happened in uh, by late by 2016, I had been at the New York Daily News for 20 years, and journalism is a tough business. Every year, I was watching mass layoffs. You know, people who were my mentors being laid off, and I knew eventually it's going to be me. You know, it's the analogy I always used is it was like being at a watering hole, and you're a bunch of zebras, and a crocodile pops up every once in a while and eats one of the zebras, and the ze- rest oh, of the zebras scatter, but then they have yeah. to come back because they're at the that's they need the watering hole. So that was what it was like being a journalist. You'd see the crocodile come and eat one of your colleagues, and you knew one day. Oh, that imagery. See, this is why you're a great writer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but anyway. So um, around uh, mid 2016, I have a very good friend, um, Joe Casada, who uh, is the um, is a uh, at the time was a chief creative officer of Marvel and a former editor in chief there. And I had interviewed this actor, Paul Blake, who was. Um, Greedo in the original Star Wars. And I asked him, because there was this whole controversy over whether or not Han Solo shot first or, or Greedo shot first, depending on how old you were and when you saw the the first Star Wars movie. So anyway, so um, I had this idea to do a comic book uh, about the, the, you know, the sort of murder investigation into Greedo. I thought it'd be funny. The idea of this sort of Rashomon-like description of, of who shot first uh, so I wrote a spec script just as a lark completely. I was not expecting anything to happen with it. So I asked him if it'd be okay if I sent it to him. And he said, I guess it's fine or something. It was no enthusiasm behind it at all. <laughs> and he later told me he was so sure that it was going to stink that he was afraid how that conversation was going to go. Um, but four months, so it took him a few months to, to read it. And I got an email, uh, like, uh, my wife is Japanese and we were visiting my in-laws in September of 2016. And on September 7, 2016, our flight lands back in New York. I turned my phone back on and there's the email that changed my life, which was from him. And it was just like, forget this script. Like you can actually do this for a living. Like this was really wow. well plotted and paced and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So he, he made an intro uh, with Axel Alonso, who was the then editor in chief of Marvel. Uh, we had conversations and, Eventually, it took like almost a year later, but I got my first big break, which was Old Man Hawkeye, which was this 12-issue miniseries that was a sequel to a very popular comic or a prequel to a very popular comic book called Old Man Logan, which inspired the movie Logan. But um, around the same time that I was talking to Joe and Axel uh, at the Daily News, there were these buyouts that came up. And so because I'd been there so long, it was seven months pay if I took the buyout. And so I was like, if I'm going to ever make a life change, this is the moment. So yeah. I did. Um, and it, it's, you know, it's still a work in progress, uh, you know, going on five years later. I'm very happy I did it. So that's I think how it's I very interesting that. too. I mean, for, for Joe Quesada, who certainly is not just going to do something because he's either your buddy or you've known him or no, 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 you're no. just, you, know. you can't do that in this business. <laughs> No, I mean that's that's what I love is that you knew when he said, "Yeah, you can do this," that that was real. I mean that that meant a lot. I think that probably gave you the confidence to say, "I'm going to take this buyout. This is the time to create this new part of my creative life and creative journey." I think it's cool too that you 
are so well versed, uh, not just in uh, on the Marvel Comics side, but Star Wars as well. So let's talk about that. So is this just something that you is it baked into your DNA, or at least you, <laughs> over the years you have so been personally tied to these stories, the Star Wars universe and and the Marvel characters? Is that it? Was that from a yeah. young age and that it developed? I was. I was a fan since I was four and possibly even before that for the Marvel. Uh, I mean, I always gravitated towards the Marvel characters. I love the Flash with DC, but generally the DC heroes for me, they, they were too kind of godlike or too perfect. And then the Marvel characters, they were, you know, it was but by the grace of God that they made it to the end of a page, never <laughs> mind the issue. You know, um, I mean, Spider-Man couldn't hold down a job. He couldn't hold down a relationship. It was always, I, I, I kind of related more to those characters. Um, yeah. And Star Wars was always like sort of my my pop culture compass. While I was at Marvel, I worked, I did a Silver Surfer annual with a young editor by the name of um, Thomas Groneman. And he is the, the assistant editor for the Star Wars line. And so he, he brought me in. So after I, we worked together really well, I, I did like a 10 page Mace Windu story, which is Samuel L. Jackson's character. And from there we expanded and, you know, I mean, I've covered Star Wars before that for many years. So like I knew people at Lucasfilm, I love the mythology. If I were at home now and I would pen so that you could see my reference books, I have like a whole shelf of reference books on ships and wars and alien species. And so like, I'm very, very serious about it. And yeah, um, yeah. so that's how I, I think got that makes you the well, I think that that by it being so authentic and organic to who you are really is reflected in your writings and that you can't fake that, right? You you have to really know. And, you know, the audience is watching. Talk about the, cre- I think it's, I'm using the right terminology, creator owned writings or how, how would you describe that and walk me through how that process works? Yeah, I mean, creator owned creator on books, I guess. would, um, And you okay. see a lot of this, like you look at Jupiter's Legacy, which came out recently on Netflix, or Sweet Tooth, uh, which was also on Netflix, Invincible, which was uh, which is an animated, uh, a great animated show on Amazon Prime. These are all what started as creator-owned books. And like, I, you know, the big difference is when you work for Marvel or DC, the big two, those are license, you know, basic, or you do licensed uh, books, you know, like say Star Wars or Stranger Things or Star Trek or anything like that. It, you know, when you're the writer or the artist, you're you're a, a work for hire. And the the analogy I always use is like if you're the session guitarist on a Katy Perry uh, hit, you're paid for your time in the studio. It's not your hit. It's like your, and it's a great opportunity for millions of people to hear you play but it's not your song. The creator owned model is basically like you are playing your own guitar on your own, you know, self titled (laughs) EP or whatever, and hoping it finds an audience. So the same thing, like, uh, you know, for the creator owned, it's your, your idea, you and the artist may share the IP. And, um, I'm just doing my first one now, which is coming out in September. Uh, it's a horror, uh, one-shot book called Intrusion. I have a great artist, Marco Lorenzana, who uh, is based in Mexico City. So uh, we communicate on Zoom and or on Skype, rather, and email, and we're just sort of hashing it out that way. But it's published by a uh, 
basically through Heavy Metal Magazine, there's this new imprint called Magma Comics. So the exciting thing about it is these are our, this is our story. You know, we, this is our little baby that we've, you know, that we're birthing into the comic book world. And so it's a different feeling. It's the, you know, I love it. I love both, but it's, it's a nice change of pace for me. So this artist, uh, Marco was the very first artist I worked with on my very first Marvel story, uh, which was an eight page story uh, involved the, the reporters and editors of the daily bugle. And we vowed that we would work together again at some point. And so we actually had a larger idea for a graphic novel that I hope we can get to at some point, but this, this was sort of, and we were close to a potential deal on that, but then the pandemic happened. So that sort of stalled. So this was like a sort of a shorter story that is something I've always wanted to tell. And, and basically what it is, if you can picture this is it's a 36 page flip book. So like one side of the, of the, story is that half of it is like from the human uh, patriarch of this family's perspective. And the other half is sort of through the monster's point of view and it sort of meets in the middle. Um, And it's a, it's a period. Yeah. So yeah, I went to school in Canada for university and I I read about the um, Acadian French and the Acadians were French settlers that sort of settled in the Maritimes of what's now the Maritimes Canada. And they were ultimately expelled by the British because the British sort of won that military posturing. And so some of them ended up settling in Louisiana and becoming the Cajuns. That's why they're French speakers in Louisiana. So I always thought that was Mm -hmm. interesting how there was like a, the small little pocket of French culture in Louisiana, which is, and then uh, there's like an urban legend of these monsters called uh, the Grunches, which are sort of in our story, it's a little bit more like creature from the black lagoon or shape of the water, you know, type of look. And so it's basically this new fan, this family's trying to settle in this spot in this bayou where it also happens to be a nesting ground for. So uh, Ethan, this is really interesting because what you just talked about is something very tactile in terms of the book itself being a flip book. That's part of your storytelling method. In this case, would this be something Obviously, I I think I already know the answer that would also translate to a movie or a mini series or a you know episodic piece. Or is that is that the is that not always the goal? Yeah, I would love that. I, I it wasn't the initial idea behind it. Like it, this is not a necessarily a calling card that I'm trying to sort of get my right. foot in the door with 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 a movie or TV series. I mean, it's always in the back of your mind a little bit, but this was very much designed as a reading experience. Um, I mean, I've been trying, I've, I had this idea, which I probably shouldn't say out loud, but when <laughs> I was in high school, I was trying to do like a novella, but I, I couldn't make it work where it was like World War One, and there was like a German soldier and a British soldier and they're on opposite sides of the trenches. And you know, like, this is sort of their, they're thinking of their backstory and they're really reluctant and they, there's a charge and somewhere in the middle, one of them dies, you know, but I uh-huh. couldn't figure out how to make the book work. So, but I love the idea right. of you're setting up for this collision and whichever way you read it from you're you're sort of sympathetic to that point of view or that yeah. character, not point of view, but like, so I, you know, I've been playing with it for a long time and I just couldn't figure, but visually I think we cracked it now with this story. So a bit of a engineering feat, you know, on the part yeah, of the right? artist to make this work. And you have to, and the uh, reader has to have some sense of how they should be attacking the material literally yeah. and, and how to play out, play it out properly. And you just said something very interesting to me is that I found no matter how 
despicable the character, if they are the center of the piece, you automatically, they become the protagonist. In this case, you hope that you develop them enough that more than just the main hero or main villain are, are interesting and well-developed and, and well-rounded. You know, you take the villains in, in, in pop culture, the best ones are the one, you know, a, a, a well-written villain isn't mustache twirling evil. You know, it, they're, they're, certainly their, their actions are motivated by what they think is either right or, you know, they, they have motivations that aren't just ruling the world or, or whatever. Right. So I think it's very important that there be these gray lines. And so the heroes are fallible and the villains are relatable in some ways. Like you think of Black Panther, the movie, and, you know, Michael B. Jordan, you never felt like he's 100% wrong. You know what I mean? And, and that, yeah, and that, well, that, their confrontation when it comes, it's like, it means a lot more than if it's a, a hero that's um, just fighting a villain that, Right. Uh, yeah. The one, one then. dimensional snidely whiplash twirling his mustache yeah. and just the, kind of the stereotypical villain. It uh, And look at the Joker character as portrayed uh, by many great actors and, and others. And even in the Bond movies, you can have simp- villains who you kind of get their point of view. And, and I think that creates the best works. I try Say, to have uh, character arcs for the major characters, right? Like, how are they changed by the end of the story? Like, there should be some change. You can't do that for every minor character, but you can do that for the major characters. How is the villain altered through the course of this? Um, you know, what is the the hero's journey? Some of the supporting characters where you can. So I think I think it's it's sort of I don't want to say writing one hundred and one, but it is an important part of storytelling. There's a lot of behind the scenes for every story. There's a lot of thinking about that sort of stuff. So what's uh, what's up next for you? What what's in the pipeline? I know you mentioned a cu- couple of things. I, I and recently you wrote a great piece for NBC News about Furious Nine. Well, really the whole Fast and Furious franchise. A great headline on that that you wrote. So I recommend everyone uh, check that out. I think it was from zero to six billion or something. Yeah, like, like that. how uh, how the uh, Fast and Furious franchise revved up from zero to six uh, six billion. Yeah, yeah, very cool. That was literally the pitch I did to the editor. So it's like, really? Because, yeah, because I, I'm so fascinated by that franchise. Um, my friend Kenneth Lee, who was at the Daily News with me at the time, but he, he wrote the Racer X article for Vibe that became optioned and became the Fast and, first Fast and Furious movie. So I've been interested in it since then. It is a movie that's defied so many, or a franchise that's defied so many typical industry like pieces of wisdom. And it grew from the small movie that was, I think, a $38 million budget with, at that time, very unknown stars or relatively unknown stars and a fairly simple plot. And now they're like literally traveling into space. They've gone from compact car movies to concept car movies. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like, you know, not the kind of cars you would see on the on the street. So, right. yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, the good thing for me with NBC News is like when you're a freelance comic book writer, you you need to be having other jobs. It isn't this glamorous thing where there people are throwing millions of dollars at you. And and so I'm lucky that I get to keep one foot in the um, journalism world. 
with uh, NBC News. So like one or two days a week, I work for them. So where can we find you? Are you all on the social media platforms? Is that- not enough. I'm kind of of the age where I'm not on social media a lot. But uh, when I am, I'm on Twitter at Ethan J. Sachs. And also, I guess uh, one thing I do want to mention is uh, one of the great things I got to do with NBC News and a comic book publisher called AWA Studios um, is right at the beginning of the pandemic, my old Marvel editor-in-chief, Axel Alonso, uh, started, he, he st- uh, co-started a new uh, published comic book publisher called AWA Studios. And, you know, we were both New Yorkers and just so upset by what we were seeing at the beginning of the pandemic. And we were at the global epicenter and so much sirens were going through the night and all this kind of stuff. So he basically uh, hired me to tell real life stories of first responders and people at the center of the pandemic from around the world. And that became a series called COVID Chronicles that NBC News actually ran first on their website. So that is something that people can see on NBC News. If you Google COVID Chronicles NBC News, you can actually read that. So that was kind of a I'm cool so way glad, to I'm so Sorry? glad you brought that up because I remember we had, you had told me about that. It's very interesting. I recommend everybody go check that out for sure. Yeah. Well, very cool, Ethan. I think, uh, is there anything else you want? I, I know you've done, I, I just want to touch on one more quick thing and then I'll let you have the last word, but I know you've done a lot of children's charity work and working with some of the the Marvel actors. You want to talk about that? Sure. Uh, one of the things I'm proudest of of my time at the New York Daily News was we started a, a, a program and we got a number of mostly Marvel movies actors uh, to sort of, we did these screening, we set up these screenings with Disney and um, these actors would basically surprise kids. And it was usually a charity that had some connection to uh either the actor or the um, the sort of the movie theme. Like, for example, for uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, we got Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan to, to come and surprise the kids. But these were kids, I believe the charity was Stars and Stripes. Basically, it was, they were, um, it was a charity that uh, had all these after-school programs for kids whose parents were serving overseas. So then these actors took these kids and um, filmed, like, greetings for their parents who are serving overseas. So we, we had, uh, it was very moving. And, uh, we had Pharrell, uh, which was not Marvel related, but when uh, Hidden Figures came out and Pharrell had the, uh, worked on the soundtrack, we surprised these kids at this middle school who were performing like a school concert with, with songs from the movie. And, uh, you know, Pharrell walks out on stage. So they, these were moments that, that yeah. basically just uh, were really special. At the, you know, at the time. And uh, I think these kids are probably going to be thinking about this the rest of their lives. Oh, another right. fun one. Yeah. We had, there was this charity that they, it was founded by kids and they basically would throw birthday parties for homeless kids in shelters because they wouldn't have it otherwise. So they would have gifts and stuff. And it was run by, I mean, kids did it for, for other kids. So one of the kids who volunteered, uh, Archie, like he was uh, having his birthday that week and we had, uh, I think it was Captain America Civil War and and um, Chris Evans comes out with a cupcake and is singing happy birthday to Archie, this kid Archie. And the kid was crying. It was just, it was, oh, really, it was just, it, it was really special to be a part of that. And I know Robert Downey Jr. was involved yeah, as well. Yeah, he did two of them. Chris Pratt. Yeah. Did I did one for the Today Show with Chris Pratt uh, for the last Jurassic Park movie. Uh, he's yeah. very involved with um, Big Brothers, uh, Big Sisters, I think, or Big Brothers. Mm-hmm. Of, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so he he did a, a charity. He did two charity screenings. 
for that um, with us, one for New York Daily News and one for uh, today's show. You do everything, man. You're a brilliant writer, great guy. Proud to call you my friend. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in person very soon, Ethan. I'm going to give you the last word for our uh, many screens, big picture audience. Part of the fun is every day it's it's something new. So like that is... uh, it's it's not an easy life to be a freelancer, but uh, it is definitely definitely worth and, it. And real quick, I was going to give you the last word, but I have to ask you. So I, I'm going to jump in here real quick. The horror flipbook, and when is that coming out? That's uh, I think it's scheduled for uh, for September 22nd. It's the end of September, let's say. Just. And what's it called again? Intrusion. Okay, cool. That seems super intriguing. So uh, yeah. we all look yeah, forward yeah, to that. Copy sent your way. I'll have you uh, back on when when that comes out. And uh, it's great to see you, Ethan. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. Thank you. All right. Take care, my friend. Take care. Bye.